down in Petersburg, everything's fine. All lamb cats is drinking that wine, drinking that mess is their delight. When he gets drunk, start singing all night, drinking wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Drinking that mess is their delight. When he gets drunk, start fighting all night. Welcome to another fabulous episode of Tasting Anarchy. I'm Jake Lindsay, and as always, I'm joined by. The Mason Joseph. Yep, Mason Joseph, the most awesome co-host around. Um, I think you're you're pretty high off of your appearance on uh, Sounds Like Liberty. Yes, and, uh, my uh, triumphant uh, episode. I, well, hopefully they agree, and you know, hopefully they didn't go. This was garbage, and we're not going to post it. <laughs> and I'm just sitting here looking like a jackass. Yeah. Well. If they do, that's their yeah. choice. If they do, that's I my time with them, right? So. And and if they and if they do decide they don't want to post it, maybe we can get the audio from them and post it on our on our show. That'd be fun. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So this week we both have wines, mm-hmm. and I think that maybe like the old format where one of us has a wine and the other one just kind of briefly comments is out the window at this point because you and I are both just stocked on wine at this point. Yes. Uh, you from your birthday and me from mm-hmm. being my normal obsessive self and <laughs> and overbuying, over trying everything. Uh, mm-hmm. If if anybody wants to understand um, how much wine I'm drinking at this point, now granted, not to excess, like I'm I'm almost never drunk, um, but I have enough wine open right now to do four mini episodes next week, and and including this one that I'm going to do tonight. So. <laughs> I'm going to try to. Victoria has um, business out of town for next week, so she'll be in Hotlanta. And Ooh. so it's a bachelor's life for me. Well, to whatever extent that is, is meaning like I get to go to the gym and stay there at a, for a reasonable amount of time, in my opinion, which is shorter because she won't be stretching and all that sort of stuff. And then come home and do mini episodes because <laughs> what's better for a bachelor than mini episodes of Tasting Anarchy? I was going to say, like, you know, what you really mean is you're going to come home and just play with Foxy. That's probably true, actually, because yeah. she, she's a sweet dog. Did I tell you, Mason, speaking of Foxy news, uh, I believe that we have found and are going to be getting a black Shiba Inu to go with Foxy, who I will be calling Mulder. So we'll have Foxy and Mulder, and they will be black and gold. So I, I should be able to get that dog in late April. Interesting. Yeah. I you did not tell me that. That's oh, yeah. a is it a girl or a, a guy? A boy. So for Good. for background information for for humans who don't know Shebas, Shebas are like a, a unique breed. They're called like um, I can't remember what, exactly what it's called, but they're like closer to wolves than than most modern dog breeds. So they can be very very aggressive, and mm-hmm. they're also very very hierarchical. And mm-hmm. and apparently females. Uh, don't get along very well with other females. Yeah, most female dogs, mm-hmm. it's it's either hit or miss. Like either yeah. they get along really well or they don't at all. Yeah, yeah. Like so in my experience. Well, apparently, according to what I read online, is that with Shebas, if you don't get them both as puppies, both girls as puppies, they will just tear each other apart day after day after day, and one of them will, and they'll, and they'll never submit to the other one. Whereas mm-hmm. boy Shebas are perfectly fine being submissive or being dominant. So if you get a boy Sheba as a puppy and you already have a girl Sheba, the boy Sheba will submit and become the the beta or whatever in the in the pack. Mm. Um, so we're gonna get a we're gonna get a boy and uh, and actually Foxy, you know, she didn't used to play very well with other dogs. Lately, she's doing really really well with other dogs. Good. Yeah, um, I, I thought 
I kind of had a feeling that she just kind of needed to grow into her own skin. Yeah, and I th- and I think just being around other dogs a lot more helped. Like being around Henry was was helpful to some degree because she started realizing that she can't like just pin any dog on the ground and start humping it. Mm-hmm. She's got it because then like you you or I will come in and go like hey 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 and yeah. uh, and in the when we bring her to the dog park she realized that she can't like do anything to big dogs because she mm-hmm. even though she's she's you know medium i guess no i guess she's a small dog she's not like a toy dog but um you know, 20 yeah. 25 pounds or whatever she's um she's just figuring it out but yeah. you know for those of you who listen to the show and follow us on twitter at tasting anarchy or on instagram tasting anarchy on instagram you will know who foxy is and what i'm talking about because she is a very cute dog and i include her in all the pictures of my wine well let's let's take a step back okay she's in the new cover art of oh the show. that's right i forgot about that yeah good good segue good segue yes yeah. so we have new uh art that i got from a pretty talented lady on um on etsy mm-hmm. uh she gave she gave us so we, we may be trying it up and already we've been memed multiple times by other liberty liberty <laughs> podcasters and just, uh just one <laughs> yeah that's true yeah <laughs> But uh, it's a lot of it's a lot of fun to see what people do when they can just kind of like quickly chop your head out and put it on on all sorts of weird other things. Mm-hmm. I've also we've I've also started learning a little bit about memeing and I can now chop heads out and put them on ridiculous things. So uh, that's that's how I you know Twitter is such an interesting environment mm-hmm. because you've really got like the community that the tasting anarchy our Twitter handle is, which is mostly me, is involved in, and it's just kind of like ludicrous. It's just a lot, a lot of silliness, a lot of ridiculousness. Um, and then you've got like everything else it seems like to me. It's either really, really silly, really left-wing anal, or mm-hmm. all advertisement. Yeah, and then there's the like background, yeah. like data transfer and, you know, the kind of like the schemingness. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's not like left or right necessarily. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. All right, well, let's go, yeah. ahead, let's go ahead and get into the wine now that we've kind of shot the shit for, <laughs> you know, five minutes. Um so this week, I'll go ahead and do you, want, do you want to do your wine first, or you want me to do mine first? No, go ahead with yours. Okay, so I could have sworn I did this wine already, but I was looking back through our episodes and I could not find it. Uh, this same company does another one that we did do an episode on called Owl Post uh, mm-hmm. Pinotage. I don't know if you remember that one, Mason. The name is very familiar, yeah. but not necessarily the flavors. Okay. I, I don't remember if it was a episode that we did together or if it was one where I was here. Uh, but I did have one episode where I did – that either I or we reviewed Owl Post Pinotage. The same winery, which is um, – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher this name because it's some sort of weird South African name. It's Neethlingshof. So it's probably German. Um, so it's Neethlingshof. Mm-hmm. Neethlingshoff Estate, uh, 2017 Pinotage, and um, I think we used to call it Pinotage. Mm-hmm. I believe it is actually pronounced Pinotage. So uh, that is the wine I am reviewing tonight. It is the cheap. Yeah. Um, now, real quick. Yeah, it was uh, one where we were together. Mm. The classic episode. Okay, great. Okay, so classic. So. Uh, I remember really liking the Pinotage, and I believe you liked it as well. Uh, I believe so. But I, I don't recall exactly. I've had this one before. Mm-hmm. And of the Owlpost and of the uh, Neethlingshoff estate, uh, this right now is the 2017. It's cheaper than the 2017 Owlpost, but the 2016 Owlpost was 
cheaper than the 2016 Neathling Shaft. So I don't know what's going on price-wise there. Um, mm. It's just maybe one year they had a good year for whatever they select for the Neathling Shaft and the Alpost another year that was good. So who, who knows? But um, in the episode where we were uh, talking to John uh, W. Daniels, who, does, who has the um, winery in Oregon, uh, mm-hmm. in Portland. He was talking about how he went to, to South Africa and it's such a hot climate that like it really affects the grapes and they can be very high sugar, uh, which produces high alcohol and they, they look like they're kind of withering. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe it has something to do with that. Maybe 2016 was like the beginning of the drought. So they didn't have any sort of backup for, um, getting water there or, you know, who knows what it is, but that's all my speculation. But anyways, yeah. this is 14% alcohol by volume. Um, it's $15 a bottle right now. It has a whole bunch of little holographic labels on it because it apparently won some awards in the, the last two years, uh, hmm. and which is kind of cool, I guess. But uh, it was mixed in with the 2016 bottles, even though they, they had two separate labels. And so the 2016 was a little bit more expensive, but, 20, but this is $15. I think a really good deal for 2015, so or for uh, $15. So... Hmm. Um, to give a little background on Pinotage, you can go back and listen to the Al Post episode. Uh, what episode is that, Mason? Do you have it pulled up? Uh, I'm sorry. It's episode 29. Oh, 29. Okay. So episode yeah. 29, we give a little bit more, I guess, information on Pinotage. But just so everybody knows, Pinotage is the premier South African bridal. It's really not grown that many other places besides South Africa. It's a cross between Pinot Noir and what used to be called uh, Hermitage. It's now called uh, Sinsalt or Sinsalt. Um, I don't know how to pronounce it, but um, it was developed in South Africa around uh, 1925, but it took almost uh, another 20 years for it to be commercially produced. So the guy who produced it just like planted it in his garden and was like, eh, whatever. And then I guess some, somebody found it later on, really liked it, and was like, oh, I'm going to graft this to, di- to disease-resistant rootstock and started planting it in South Africa. It became a big hit in South Africa, and uh, it's you know taken off ever since. So, uh, yeah, real quick, sure. Grow Pinotage in Virginia. Oh, really? Okay. Mm -hmm. So I know that like, from what it says online is that like acre for acre or hectare for hectare, it's just not grown that much outside of South Africa. Mm -hmm. I wonder what the Virginia one would be like. That's a good question. Yeah. Yeah, We'd have to try it. Yeah. We, maybe that, that'll be, that'd be kind of a cool one to track down. I've been really into tracking down weird wines lately. (laughs) You have. (laughs) Give long drives several to try to find and that leads into the one that i'm doing okay so yeah. um i have an italian wine i have uh donarac dona carreras campania alingico igt 2016 so i butchered all of that um the great varietal is the angelico which i think is something relating to angels mm-hmm. um dona caras is the um, the name of the um winery and then the Campina is part of the, like, I think the region. Um, so it's an IGT, so it's like that secondary or third tier of Italian wines where yeah. it's like, we make good wines, we don't classify for the other two. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were going to have a guest on who, unfortunately, like, you and I couldn't get the multi-communication thing we were going to do to have the guest on to work. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, the guest wasn't able to come on because she had some family sickness, so... You know, we had gotten this one, but this is um, $17.99 at Total Wine right now. Mm-hmm. It's funny because if you look it up and you go to the Italian website, nine euros. So, oh, interesting. Okay. You know, you can kind of see what the cost difference is there. And 
you know, it, um, so this is, um, it's a red varietal. Um, it's not very tannic. It's not very acidic. Now I've had the bottle open for several days. I'm on the last of it, but it, this is one of those ones where like, this is really good red wine, yeah. but it's kind of classic red wine, but I don't want to use the word drawback, but mm-hmm. you know, like some people are like, Oh, it's too acidic or it's too tannic or all of that stuff. It, it's, it's just kind of got like a, a nice red wine flavor. Um, very dark ruby color like you can see light through it pretty easily um but it's one of those it's got a yeasty smell to it a bit Mm -hmm. um the kind of blackberry is the descriptor terms like they use now their website like the actual one and we'll link to it in the show notes it's pretty funny like because it's pretty well done and like they kind of give you like when it was harvested and all that the bottle had it on it too unfortunately i didn't bring the bottle with me so i don't Mm -hmm. have the alcohol percentage by volume Mm because neither place decided to list it (laughs) right um yeah, it's like, you know, they talk about the vines, the hectares. I mean, like, um, you know, they, they say the bouquet is persistent. Thanks of um, a marina and wild blackberry with delightful taste, uh, toasted flavors. I don't necessarily get that. Um, but they do say, you know, from the palate, soft and elegant with suggestions of berries and strawberry jam. I get a little more blackberry that, but like definitely a jam flavor. Yeah. And very, very soft. Um, you know, they, they go, um, Food affinity is outstanding with pasta with full body sauces, steak and cheese. Mm-hmm. You know, not big on the cheese. Um, I don't think it's aggressive enough for steak because I don't think it will take the fat out of like, you know, like a fattier steak. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think it'll pull that out of your mouth like a lot of the like cab would. Um, but yeah, definitely one of those red wines where it's like, hmm, like this is like a, a fun new experience. But you know, they, even on there, they've got like the training system that the vines were put under, the type of soil, the yeah. period of harvest. I mean, it's a really interesting website for a wine specifically that's like nine euros. Yeah, when this yeah. this company, they don't they have several tiers of the same wine. I'm. I don't know if they have several tiers of the same wine. Okay. I, I didn't get that far into it, but they definitely. You know, it's kind of like um, most um, most wineries that kind of have different tiers of the wines. Yeah. Like, um, Kind of my favorite Virginia winery at the moment, um, the uh, Williamsburg Winery. They have some like super expensive exotics mm-hmm. and you know just high end regular production stuff. And then they've got like you know the four ninety nine Governor's wine, which isn't right. bad, but you know so they've got different varietals. But yeah, this is um, you know I I think when you finally open yours because if you did mm-hmm. get it, um, yeah, I, I, just, I be- just I put it in the closet because I thought we were gonna uh, do it, but I think that you and I are gonna go in a different direction next mm-hmm. month when we when we reschedule our guest. Yeah. Um I think you'll definitely really enjoy it. Okay. Um so, you know, one of those ones that if you wanted because we were gonna do where I did a mini on it. Yeah. And then you were gonna do the full episode because it's just the way and things ended up working out with the way we thought we were gonna go. Mm-hmm. Um definitely you know kind of if you get a mini a chance to do a mini let us know how you think about it okay. i i think you'll really enjoy it yeah. or you'll really dislike it I, okay. I don't think you'll be in the middle on it but okay. I, I have a feeling because it's got it's got that classic red wineness to it without having a lot of the other stuff which i think you'll think is really interesting okay that or you'll be like mason was completely off base <laughs> <all this stuff." laughs> well i mean maybe, maybe i will like that the that's one of the cool things about wine in general is that the flavor in wine is so incredibly subjective uh, mm-hmm. and it just, it really depends on the person. This kind of goes even into wine experts is that you'll see some wine experts will give, um, I mean, like 
everything plays into it. So it's even your impression of the region it's from plays into it. So like I, I gave this kind of tidbit in one of the minis, I think, where they were um, they had a, a, a blind taste test, and the what ended up winning was like South New Jersey wines. Mm-hmm. And the the sommeliers, the master sommeliers and stuff, were so offended that they would choose a South New Jersey that they wouldn't allow the results to be published. <laughs> uh, that and it's like, well, who cares if it's if it's good? But it's like it's just it's so it's so incredibly subjective. And then also one of the cool things about wine, and this is what I went into the mini uh, this past week a little bit was um, something I've been thinking about a little bit lately, especially after I had Mister Sue on was if I tell somebody that something is gross or that I don't like something, does that change their opinion of the wine? And I think in, in the case of wine, because it's so subjective and so much of it is reliant on the story, it it does really impact that. That's I think one of the reasons I'm kind of reluctant to give a bad review on something is because I don't want people to think that it's a bad wine. I, mm-hmm. want, I want them to try it and figure it out themselves. But once you mentioned that it was an Italian wine, that kind of reminded me that I don't think I went into the flavors of mine at all. No, no, you didn't. Uh, that was very funny. Yeah. So let me let me quickly do that before we get into some of the topics. Um, so back to my wine, which is the uh, Neithling Schaff Estate 2017 Pinotage, 14% alcohol by volume, $15. Uh, this is the notes that I made on it. I said it's it, uh, not very strong or complex smell, but has a typical red fruit smell expected of red wines. There is a hint of yeastiness, and the booziness is very, very low for a 14%. Um, The taste is very good. Uh, It has a strong cherry flavor, and this is like a red cherry, not like... I've talked about this before, like the black cherry flavor. This is more of the along the lines of a ripe red cherry. Um, It has a hint of black pepper, but very, very, very light, not like a Carmenere, which you and Mason and I have had, and had that pepperiness, which was very interesting. Uh, actually, I think I mentioned it to you in the uh, classic episode where we recorded on your porch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had that Carmenere, and it was just like black pepper right in your face. <laughs> and yeah. uh, this has a hint of black pepper, but it's not in your face. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fairly acidic, but it's not overpowering acidity. It has very soft tannins, but there are tannins. Um, and a slight metallic flavor, a little tiny, tiny, tiny bit of maybe tobacco or leather. Um Man, I always say um too much. I got to work on that. <laughs> uh, I think it's very well balanced for it's very well balanced for a $15 wine. Usually when I get a $15 wine, it's usually strong one way or the other. This is very very even. And, and I like I like the evenness when it's not just like bland evenness when it's like all of these flavors kind of work together to complement each other. So mm-hmm. it actually reminds me a lot of and this is where it ties back into the Italian wine. I had a Cabernet Franc um, an Italian Cabernet Franc that was a lot more aggressive than the French version or the Napa versions of Cabernet Franc, and it was called uh, Course uh, Kai. I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this so bad, guys. Caia uh, Rosa Toscana Pergolaia Pergolaia. So Pergolaia. yeah, I don't know exactly how to say that, but yeah. uh, it was a 100% Cabernet Franc. You know, uh, one of the noble grapes, but grown in Italy. Um, I thought it was a very, very interesting Cabernet Franc. And, you know, I'm a huge fan, Mason, of Cabernet Francs. You are, yes. Um, and this one was just very, very different. This Pinotage, Pinotage in general reminds me of Cabernet Franc. Uh, but it this one in particular reminds me of this specific Cabernet Franc. So uh, hmm. if anybody's interested in trying it, it's it's very inexpensive. I think actually the the Italian one, the, the whatever, I'm not going to say it, the Italian one, um, I think that one's actually 25. So if you were going to choose between the two i would go with this from south africa 
because I think it's very similar. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly the same, obviously, but it's similar. And um, I think you're getting a lot more bang for your buck. Now, did you get that at Total Wine? Yes, I did. I got it from Total okay. Wine. It's actually not – I mean for those of my listeners that are in Dallas, it's not available at the Park Lane Total Wine. It's only – this one I got when I was out in Fort Worth. So it's, it's at the Fort Worth one. They have a ton at Fort Worth, but for whatever reason, they won't ship it over to the Park Lane one. And um, – so I drove all the way out there. I, I wanted to get something else, Mason, as you know. But uh, <laughs> it, it was like a 50-minute drive out to Fort, at, out to the other Fort Worth total wine to get this this the thing that I wanted. And while I was there, I just was trying to find the things that I knew they had that the Park Lane one didn't have. Mm-hmm. So I ended up getting like 12 bottles of wine while I was there. And it was all like weird stuff that they just didn't have at the Park Lane one. <laughs> <laughs> so Yeah, so speaking of weird and getting wines, mm-hmm. so um, – my birthday was in late January, or is in late January, so my wife got me, as you know, Jacob, mm-hmm. a subscription to Gold Club's wine service. Um, so every three months, I'll get three wines, and they've got like little food samplers and stuff. So this, the one I got was Chilean. So I've mm-hmm. got a Sauvignon Blanc. Um, I've got a Carminari, which I'm, I'm looking forward to drinking. And then we had a Malbec. And I, I finished the Malbec, and unfortunately, I didn't take good enough notes to really do a review on it. But then my, par- <clears throat> my parents also got me a Groupon certificate for um, Splash Wines, which I had not heard of as a distributor. And uh, it's like 18 of their best wines of 2018. So I got eight whites, not eight reds, and two rosé. So now in my laundry room, I have like 18 bottles of wine. And it was like, it it was kind of like daunting to try to figure out where to put all these wines. Sure. Oh, yeah. So so that my daughter wouldn't knock them over. Mm -hmm. And so I I now have like strategically trying to figure out what to open and when to open it and how to do reviews on it. Because like in my, I've had a like a cermillion or cermillion cermillion i think that's Um, i think that's close yeah it always makes me think of the silmarillion yeah i think i'm gonna call it the silmarillion (laughs) wine all right um i I had a small (laughs) bottle that i was trying to see if you could get at total wine to try to do a unique review before we got more or for you specifically dug deeper into these Mm -hmm. uh more exotics yeah but um so now i've got like uh because i just finished the the dominica one um like bottle wise like we have 21 bottles of wine in my house, which is more wine than I've ever had. And the uh, splash wines, they're not, you know, I don't think any of them are over 25 by themselves, but yeah. like two Tempranillos, which I was super pumped about. Yeah, that's and that's like, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And like just a bunch of like other stuff and like a couple that like a red and a white from a specific vineyard. So like kind of get to see the different styles. So mm-hmm. it's like, this is like a incredible birthday haul. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is a cool birthday haul. I'm, I'm actually very excited to hear your opinion on those rosés because that's one of the, um, I, you know, I've been dipping my toe into the being a millennial and mm-hmm. uh, I've been getting dry rosés lately, like just a bottle of dry rosé. Um, actually, I think I've gone through maybe three or four. And um, <laughs> they're, they are very, very easy drinking and very refreshing. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm very curious to see how how y- what your opinion of them. I don't know if they're dry or sweet, but um, I just well, I I find them very interesting. The, I think one is called The Final Rose, which is like some sort of reference to The Bachelor or Bachelorette. So, oh, okay. Um, you may be able to look that up. Okay. <laughs> and, All right. 
but you have the full list. So, cause I texted mm-hmm. you that picture of the, yeah, like it was really cool. Cause in the, the shipping thing from splash wines, um, they, they printed a list and they like, it was like specific to you. Cause like, you know, they, they were kind of like, you know, depending on our, when you claim your group on, mm-hmm. they may not have everything they would have normally recommended. Yeah. So well, well, they're like formation specifically. And I was like, Oh, this is fun. Well, I've got a, I've got a good segue uh, based oh, yeah. on that. And that is, let's go to the second article I have in the notes um, mm-hmm. because a shorter, uh, a shorter article and it ties into you getting all the Chilean wines. Um, so this article is actually, let me pull it up again because it's from Decanter magazine, but it's the article's title is Brexit UK and US sign wine and spirits trade deals. It's by, uh, Chris Merce, uh, Mercer. Mm-hmm. And I think I, we've done articles by him before. I think we have too. Cause he actually writes a lot on Decanter. Okay. And um, Decanter is actually a really great news source for anybody who's just interested in in uh, reading news on wine. Decanter is really good. You can there's a paid version and there's a free version. Um, I always do the free version because I'm cheap. But uh, the the pay version uh, supposedly has got a lot of stuff. And maybe Mason, as you and I grow the show, if we start making any money or anything from advertisements or something like that, maybe we'll get a subscription to Decanter because it does have a lot of really good information. Mm-hmm. But this particular article, it's about a deal, as the title suggests. It's about uh, the UK. Uh, so the UK, for those of you who don't follow the news or, or are not really interested in it, the UK is leaving the EU um, on March 29th. It's, as of right now, it's still on schedule. So um, the US and UK, though, as a result of this, have signed um, two new agreements to maintain the flow of wines and whiskeys between the two countries. Uh, this is also, and this is how it ties into your Chilean wines, Mason, is um, also uh, very, very similar to a Chilean deal between the UK and the U- uh, UK and Chile. And the reason it seems like they're doing this, or the summary reason, is that the UK is a little bit worried, uh, a little bit worried that the deal between the EU and the UK will not work out, and there will be very, very high tariffs on wine and going into the into the UK or any sort of whiskey, alcohol going into the UK and also going out. So the UK, the UK wants to establish new trade routes with low tariffs going out, and and also for the high demand going in, because although wine is grown, as you and I have discussed multiple times on the show, wine is grown in the UK and very fine wine is produced in the UK. Um, they are also very large consumers of imported wines, particularly French wines. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're trying to establish this as sort of the backup, but also because uh, the UK is the fourth largest wine consumer of US wines. The market is worth uh, $227 million. Uh, and it's also the number one export market for U.S. whiskeys at $187 million annually. Um, now, those numbers don't seem huge, but when you think about it, um, alcohol is actually not a not as big of an exportable commodity as um, you might think. Because, you know, we think of French wines as being this, like, really great thing. And, and you go into Total Wine or whatever, and there's a huge French section, there's a huge Italian section, all that. But it, that's a, a small fraction of what's available in France or Italy or Spain or wherever, and just a lot of a lot of manufacturers just don't export. They, everything is domestic. So, well, I mean, like if you think about it, like and I think this would be something good to talk to Jackson about. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to make sure that you know the foreign country's labeling laws mm-hmm. on top of your own country's labeling laws, and like, or have somebody set up to do the label. Yeah, you know what I mean? like, exactly. Somebody, yeah. 
That actually, you're right. That would be a really good thing to talk to Jackson Blood about, who's um, still one of our most popular guests. Who was on both. Um, I don't know the episode numbers, but he's on our New Year episode, and he was also on just an episode by himself where he introduced us to Bordeaux wines. Mm-hmm. Really great guest. I want to have him on again to talk about um, Galatian wines or maybe Portuguese wines uh, in the near future. But um, sort of to that point, Mason, uh, the agreement comes with uh, several regulatory agreements to try to make it easier for uh, UK and US to export to the other two co- to the other country. Mm-hmm. So this is. Uh, it, it includes a lot of labeling regulation requirements um, and uh, easements so that it's easier for the UK wines to get into the US and easier for the US wines to get into the UK or vice versa or not vice versa or other types of alcohol because it doesn't just include wine. It also includes things like um, special protections for scotch whiskey and for bourbon. Um, so for those of you who don't know, and this is something I kind of knew, but I, I just am not really that up on scotch or bourbon. And I know that we have a lot of listeners who are really interested in scotch, really interested in bourbon, and they may be able to fill us in a lot more on this, but bourbon and scotch are both protected classifications of alcohol, even though scotch is a whiskey and it's very similar to, um, very similar to like Irish whiskey or even whiskey produced in the United States, and you could produce it the same way. It's sort of in the, along the lines of champagne, where it's not technically scotch if it's not produced in the same, the correct place and with the correct water and the correct ingredients as scotch whiskey from Scotland. So, mm-hmm. and the same thing with bourbon. Bourbon is specifically a specific type of whiskey from the United States. Yeah, from Bourbon County. Yeah, from Bourbon County. <laughs> I so, think is the, is the yeah. implication. Yeah, I think, and I think there's like, there's, I don't know if it's, I don't know what it's made out of, but is it, is it corn? I think it's corn and something else. Okay. So, uh, well, for our listeners who are interested in this, I would be happy to hear from you about what bourbon is or, you know, the ins and outs of scotch. If you're an expert on it, I would also be perfectly happy to talk to you about it on the show because, um, we're trying to expand into, um, many episodes and side episodes about other types of alcohol besides wine, um, just to kind of, you know, appeal to a wider audience and also because I'm very interested in it. And mm-hmm. um, so if you know about it and you want to come on and talk about it, that's great. You can yeah, re- so, um, what's the plug? So they, how, how can they reach out to us, Mason? Well, real quick. Okay. So Jackson, episodes 33 and 41. Hmm. So, but yeah, if you want to reach out to us, um, you can reach out to us at tastinganarchy at gmail.com. If you like the Twitter or um, uh, how did uh, Mr. Sue refer to it? Uh, twatter yeah he tries he tries to make everything vulgar (laughs) but he's a great guy he's a great guy (laughs) yeah so if you if you prefer that pronunciation um you can follow us or follow or reach out to jacob at tasting anarchy um tasting anarchy at on twitter or if you're old school and you want to comment on one of the episodes, you can go to tastinganarchy.com, where hopefully when we figure out our technical issues, all the episodes will update automatically and possibly, um, you know, with all the wines that we have in, in stock these days, um, we'll be doing more review writing and uh, Jackson may be doing yep. some special guest typeage. That's right. That's right. So uh, he's got a login now and, and maybe he will. You know, maybe one. He's a busy guy, so I don't want to. I don't want to put him on the spot. You know, one of the yeah. other things um, about this article, just before we wrap it up, this is, I guess, the most anarchist or libertarian portion of this article, and that is that um, these this agreement comes with the possibility of easing the twenty five percent 
tariff on American alcohol to European countries or uh, to UK specifically. So right now they're under the U the UK the uh, EU's agreements. Mm-hmm. And as a response to our steel tariffs and our and various other tariffs from the Trump administration, um, they put a very large tariff on U.S. alcohol. Um, but this agreement comes with a stipulation that that will be eased and that they will suspend the 25% uh, import tariff until, or I guess tariff is just synonymous with import. Um, and it will be it will be suspended until further notice. So hmm. that I think will be very interesting. I'm typing stuff, and so it makes me it it makes me confused. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but so that I think that'll be very interesting, and that sort of ties into my next article. Do you have any more comments on this? Well, no, but I, I have a an, a weird segue. Sure, because I think we we've talked about two things here. Um, one about water usage in South Africa, you know, mm-hmm. the drought, and that yeah, kind of yeah. ties to the the mini the mini bridge that I had. Okay, um, so. As as you know, Jacob, I don't have uh, cable television, and yeah. I don't think you do either. Nope. nope. Um, but I have a broadcast antenna, so we watch a lot of PBS, and I, I really like this old house, and you know, because I have an older home, and but they they are kind of statist, and you know, they clearly kind of have to pose the fact that you gotta meet these regulations because otherwise, you know, you get your house condemned and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so they also have the show called Ask This Old House, where they kind of go out and. You know, people are like, how do I do this? And they'll show up and like help you do it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that's fun and very interesting. And it's good to see the skills passed along and, you know, and that sort of thing. But one of the things that, you know, has been sweeping the country is the reduction in the amount of water that a toilet uses. Oh, right. And because they, they've been trying to bring the gallons per flush down, you know, California has all these insane mandates. And so I was watching it and there's this like institute, like basically it was like of trying to figure out how to achieve 1.28 gallons per flush. Cause like 1.6 is kind of the standard right now. Okay. So they're trying to get it down to 1.28 and they came up with like, cause like to be disgusting, there are two things the toilet's got to do mm-hmm. clear right. and ensure that the bowl doesn't stay dirty. Yes. Yeah. So they came up with this thing where like basically they figured out a way how to use 30% of the flush to clear and 70% to keep the bowl clean. Okay. But to do it, they had to use two flappers. So one of the things that we always point out is the fact that like if the government didn't manipulate the market, how quickly would they have come up with this previously? Sure. But also now we have exceptionally more complicated toilets. Mm-hmm. Because instead of having one flapper, which is the biggest fail point in most toilets outside of the lid or seat, like is the flapper. So right. now you could possibly have two flappers go. I and mean, then how do you tell which one's the problem? You know, like all that yeah. stuff. Because the government basically subsidizes the cost of water. And that's yeah. one of the things that like California, like they're trying to regulate in California around their own stupidity. It's like, oh, we've got to punish the consumer because we won't just let the price of water float yeah like water is a commodity if it was if it like if it's so important why don't you let the price fluctuate yeah well actually and yeah. if you if you look at the numbers on on water usage in the in california in particular the regulating low flow toilets and all that sort of stuff ha- is like negligible compared to the amount of water that's being used in in industrial capacity but they don't want mm-hmm. to regulate industrial usage yeah uh, or or agricultural agricultural usage, although they do limit agricultural usage above 
uh, industrial usage. So um, it is. It's kind of a weird. It's it's weird the way the complexity and where they're trying to save water and stuff like that when they could very easily just go look, we're not regulating water prices anymore. And the water prices would skyrocket and people would make different decisions. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe maybe a double flap toilet would would be something that people would decide to do. But uh, it's just not it's not clear under the current status malaise that that is what's going on. Yeah, and this, this makes me think of the classic, um, from my mind, and I think I've told you about this before, but like, you know, like an MRM machine uses like a boatload of helium Mm-hmm. But because the U.S. price of helium is so low, because the U.S. strategic reserve based on like um, like petroleum refinery and nuclear reactors, and like you know, there's this weird thing where we have a bunch of helium that's not really naturally occurring, right? Because like the government subsidizes it, so the price of helium is super low because the government keeps the price of helium super low. So like all the people who produce like MRI machines were just like, well, we never have to worry about that. So you know, the input cost. But like once they started going like, oh yeah, we're going to run out of helium by like, you know, 2020 or, you know, it's not that soon, but something like that. They basically, MRI machines immediately became super efficient with the helium use. Right. It's like, yeah, because if you let the market adjust, wouldn't it like, no, just you, you cut out a, cu- a little bit there, Mason. So I think maybe it's it's possibly on your end. And, uh, yeah. So basically, like you're, you're cutting out, man. How about now? Okay, perfect. It's back back to normal. Because like, I, oh no, I, no, 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 it's cutting out again. Hmm, how about now? Okay, uh, just say a few more things. Yeah. How about now? Is it cutting out at all? Perfect. Okay, so it sounds good. Uh, I'm going to write down the time because I'm going to adjust for this. Yeah, sounds okay. good. Okay. So wh- say again what you were saying. Uh, so I was just saying, like, basically, like, it, you know, it's it's clear that, like, if the market was allowed to act, you know, with all the inputs without the government, like, specifically hamstringing one of them, mm-hmm. we'd come up with solutions to these problems. Yeah. And, and these problems wouldn't even probably exist. Or mm-hmm. if they did, the market would go about solving them when they came up. Right. Well, you know what? And this is actually, this. it's cool that you brought this up because this ties into another wine-related article from winesearcher.com. Um, that, uh, I think actually I told, I think I told you earlier that like, I was very offended by this article because I had taken a nap. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's called uh, craft, it's called craft tax cuts, big business, a break. And it's by W Blake gray. I assume W Blake gray is a boy, but it could be a girl. It could be like when Wednesday or well, no Wednesday, I guess Wednesday is a girl's name, but, um, there's a libertarian named Wednesday that I chat with frequently and it's a boy, but, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> That's just his Twitter handle. But anyways, so in in this article, I told you I was kind of irritated by it, but it's because I woke up and I was kind of grumpy from waking up from a nap, which is why I don't take naps normally. But, um, uh, so the article, I'll go ahead and summarize the article real quick, and it, and then we can comment a little bit on it, or you can interrupt me while I comment that, or while I summarize it, because I think there's going to be some stuff in here that you'll find interesting and that you'll want to comment on as well. Okay. So. Uh, again, the title is Craft Tax Cuts, Big Business, A Break. And so in 2017, the, the quote-unquote tax, uh, the Trump tax cuts included tax cuts for, again, quote, craft beverages, which is not very specifically defined, but uh, craft beverages did receive a tax cut. So it's specifically, though, uh, it's in a act called the Craft Beverage Mon- uh, Modernization Tax Reform Act. Um, so... These tax cuts will actually come to an end in 2019 if they are not extended by Congress. It has been reintroduced to um, uh, reintroduced to extend, but we'll see if it happens or not. Um, you know, it's a it's tricky right now because of the split Congress. 
But uh, the author of the article, W. Blake Gray, um, is unimpressed with this tax cut for the following reasons. Um, of the annual, uh, quote, lost tax revenue, which I always take exception with lost tax revenue because it's basically saying like, oh, we, we've lost revenue because we stopped stealing from people. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so of that, so it's, it's $321 million that they've lost. 50 million of that went to seven companies, uh, which are the largest beer brewers. Um, uh, and they make, uh, more than 2 million barrels annually. This is people like Coors, uh, Anheuser-Busch, those guys. So mm-hmm. the largest, the largest nationwide brewers, uh, receive the bulk. Well, not even the bulk, but a very large percentage of the tax cuts. What I would like to say to this guy, this is again, this is editorial. What I'd like to say to this guy is, of course, they receive the bulk. They they produce the bulk. Mm-hmm. So if it's a percentage of what they produce, of course, they're receiving the the, the percentage of what they produce. But anyways, <laughs> uh, uh, also he was not happy with this um, tax cut because it excludes sparkling wine, uh, which is interesting. Um, but sparkling wine is taxed at a different rate than still wine because back in the 1930s, when prohibition was ending. Um, sparkling wine was seen as a luxury item for the very wealthy. And so a higher tax was left in place on champagne and, and Prosecco and uh, uh, all, all of those types of sparkling wines. Mm-hmm. Um, so despite the author being unimpressed, uh, he does he does say that um, this does um, – it, it that he agrees with lowering the tax because he thinks that um, – the reason that the tax was high was to discourage use of alcohol. Mm-hmm. And he goes, well, prohibition shows us that, that laws or uh, some sort of thing to discourage people from using a product doesn't work. It creates black markets and that sort of thing. But then what's so funny is that in the next sentence, he goes on to say, if the U.S. really wants to discourage people from using things, despite he just said that this creates black markets and people avoiding the tax. He then says they should raise taxes on guns and ammunition. <laughs> and it's like, did you just read what you wrote? <laughs> but okay. All right. Well, moving on. Uh, so he says, yeah, go ahead and increase taxes on that because we need people to, we need to save lives by having a high tax on that. Even though I just said that it creates black markets, but whatever. And, and like I, I was going to say, I think more people die in road fatalities due to alcohol than gun violence by like an extreme amount. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's like, I think it's like 20 million to like 30 million or, or to like 70 million or something crazy like that. It's a huge amount. I don't even know the numbers, but it, it is, it's well, a I mean, lot more. 70, 70 million is like a fourth of the U S population. So, okay. You're right. So it's probably not <laughs> anywhere near that amount, but it's a lot. Yeah. Um, like I think even like I'm kind of mad at myself for using the phrase gun violence because there's a difference between like somebody breaks into your house and you kill them with a gun as opposed to me just shooting a guy in the street yeah. for like not giving me his bananas. Well, and the, the other thing too about the gun violence statistics is that they include suicides, which is the, mm-hmm. is the bulk of gun violence statistics. Yeah. It's like 60% of gun violence is, is suicides. So, you know, take that as you will. Um, but anyways, continuing on the summary. So uh, he also says that the top 1% are getting a larger cut, about $140 billion. So that's it's more unfair than the loss of three hundred twenty one million. So like I I don't I don't really understand the this the logic of this portion of the article doesn't make sense to me because he goes through for about well I, I get to it right here so eight paragraphs in the author finally concedes that these tax cuts do help a very large number of small producers so mm-hmm. but also that like why does look there the one percent are so what is one percent of of what what is our what is the population in the U S three hundred twenty million yeah let's call it that so. 
one percent of three hundred twenty million. Let's go ahead and do that. So three twenty times point oh one. So uh, three point two million or thirty two million. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thirty two. So one per. So th- that's the one percent supposedly, and they're getting a hundred and forty billion dollar tax cut as opposed to a couple, maybe a thousand, maybe two thousand producers of alcohol are getting three hundred twenty. <laughs> like what the fuck, like. Well, I don't like to cuss too much on the show, but like, what are you thinking? Like, the numbers don't even make sense in your own, like, on your own premise. Like, this is what always irritates me about people who are always upset about tax cuts because, like, the the numbers that they give, it's like they on your own premise, they don't make any sense. You're talking about completely different numbers of people. Um, but anyways, so eight paragraphs yeah, so. in, you know, he finally. So this is what irritated me about the article after I was reading it, and I was just like, this guy, he's he's killing me with these with this like, and and I don't know where he's from, but I assume he's from some wine region in California. Mm-hmm. But so he finally concedes that it does actually help a lot of people, and that he's in favor of these tax cuts. Um, so there are some parts of the bill that seem to be explicitly against small wine producers, though, and he says that needs to be fixed for the new version of the bill. So the the bill contains provisions that uh, exempt wineries that use uh, custom crush facilities. So you, uh, John, on Mm -hmm. uh, let me look at the episode real quick. It was uh, episode 48. Um, On episode 48, we talked to John about this, and he talked about how this is very common. Is it's called custom crush? Is where you use a facility because you know you're not you're only using the equipment once a year. So you try Mm -hmm. to maximize the use of the equipment by allowing multiple people to use it. And so they do this custom crush and um, the law, the way that it works is that um, if you store your finished wine on the premises of the custom crush facility, you are not, uh, you're not subject to the exemptions of the taxes. So what this, this does, and this kind of ties into what you're talking about, that this old house thing is that this incentivized wine producers to custom crush and then ship back to their facilities for storage, which is an additional shipping cost, which raises mm-hmm. their prices. But the price of shipping is lower than the price that they're receiving for the tax incentives. So they, they've they been doing this. And now the author kind of goes into, he's like, well, some people are not smart enough to take advantage of these. And it's like, come on, dude. Like, these are entrepreneurs. They'll figure it out. But <laughs> but on the same side, I, I do agree with him that this is ridiculous that this exemption exists. Like, um, a lot of small wineries do do use uh, custom crush facilities and it is just easier for them to store it on site before they send it to consumers directly or send it to the, the retail location. Um, so it would make sense for them not to ship it back to their location, but for whatever reason, the law includes this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the new law, there's some, uh, the, there's the, the extension, the 2019 extension um, will include some things that are actually very beneficial or potentially very beneficial so the new law, um, it will uh, – so right now, uh, alcohol that is 14 to 16% is taxed at a higher rate than alcohol that's under 14%. And the reason that this – and this goes back into your this old house analogy thing too – is the, the reason that this exists is because during Prohibition, they were trying to encourage people to produce lower alcohol beverages. Or after Prohibition, they were trying to encourage people to produce. So they, they made these tiered taxes. So they're like, oh, if you're producing a 16% alcohol wine, we want it to be taxed higher because that's bad. Whereas mm-hmm. Like a nine percent wine is good or whatever. So, so they they came up with this tier system. The new law flattens that out and just says no, no, no. All wine is equal and uh, is all going to be taxed at roughly the same rate. And I think this is very interesting because um, right now there are wines that go to 14, 15, 16 percent, but for the most part, wine is at about three point five percent, and they are allowed to guess one percent high or low. So mm-hmm. we could be you know thirteen point five percent. This tax at thirteen point five percent could 
theoretically be 14.5%, but it's likely going to be around 13.5. But well, it could be as low as 12.5. Exactly. It could be lower. It could be higher. It's, it's, it's really, it just, just depends. But, um, the, the new law flattens that out. And I, and I'm wondering what we're going to see now that the law flattens it out in, in regards to what people produce. So, um, the, the author, mm-hmm. and I think, uh, he attributes the, the higher percentage of alcohol. Cause he, he says this is, this is due to a lot of wines now have a much higher percentage of alcohol. And he says this is, uh, this is attributed to two things. One is modern viticulture procedures, which uh, allow people to um, pick grapes at the appropriate time where there's the maximum amount of sugar for fermentation um, or global warming. And so, and so I put a little note in there and I said, clearly he didn't get the memo that climate change is, is, is the new thing. And global warming is a thing of the past that, that nobody talks about anymore. It's all, climate, it's all climate change now, but he specifically says global warming. Um, and actually, I talked about this in the last episode, which was episode fifty-three with Mister Sue. I, I don't, I don't specifically disbelieve in global warming or climate change or whatever. I believe in markets, and mm-hmm. the markets do kind of show that people, for whatever reason, where whether it's climate change or new technology, are moving north for wine production, um, or they they are expanding north. They're not moving mm-hmm. north. There are there's still a ton of people in Texas, still a ton of people in other places that are south producing wines that I think are very good wines, but there is a, is, is a expanding, um, and it may be demand, it may be technology, it may be, uh, the availability of hybrids that do very well in, uh, colder climates, who knows what it is, but well, I believe that well, in markets. Well, let's give it this, it's human tenacity. Yeah. Like, yeah. Cause you know, people produced wine in Britain mm-hmm. before they had any of this and yeah. like wine production was right. not necessarily the now. But was definitely larger than you know the 50s at some point mm-hmm. in Britain's past. So like you know it, it like and it was colder. I'm going to use air quotes then or you know however they they supposedly skew the data. But like they did produce wine more wine in Britain in the past. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but and, and it could, real- but it's all. I mean I'm I'm sure it could all be attributed to, to it, it, I like like I said I don't believe or disbelieve. Mm-hmm. I believe I believe in markets and I believe in you know, like you said, human tenacity, they'll figure it out and they'll produce what is appropriate to clear. And if it doesn't clear, they'll liquidate and that'll re that'll adjust uh, resources to the appropriate area. But just to complete it, there's one last point on this article and that is, and this is something that the author did get correct, I think. And I, I briefly touched on it before, but he says that he thinks that these taxes, the, the 14 and above tax, um, has encouraged producers to make lower alcohol wines and that we, he thinks that we'll see a higher alcohol wine such as Zinfandel, uh, Air, uh, Amarone, which is an Italian varietal, I think, um, the California style Petite Syrah, which is a very high alcohol Petite Syrah, and really just any red wines from a warmer climate are going to have a higher alcohol content. So he thinks that we don't see a lot of that because the taxes disincentivize people from either A, growing the grapes, or B, growing the grapes that produce higher alcohol. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought this was an interesting article. I'm I'm excited to see what happens with it. Maybe we'll follow it a little bit. Um, uh, any thoughts on on I guess tax cuts in this regard? Like you know, this is one of the things that you and I try to cover as much as possible because I don't think a lot of other uh, liberty oriented shows are covering specifically the alcohol um, related taxes and and interventions. But this is I think an article that really drives home one of the things you and I talk about a lot. When it comes to government distortions of the market, and mm-hmm. um, in in this case, 
you can see just by the numbers, I mean, they're not ungodly huge numbers, but like $320 million of revenue a year is sucked out of the wine industry into the government coffers, which could be passed on to you. Well, let's, let's let's use our previous article. Mm-hmm. It was $287 million worth of exports yeah. to Britain. So we are being the tax revenue is more than the value of U.S. exports, the fourth largest export partner for wine right. for the United States. Yeah. So like it would be different if like, you know, like if you're like, oh, it's our 17th partner or so you know like i, I don't you, you and i don't agree at taxes at all but like if you're right. like oh it's, it's less than our 17th partner it's like okay you know like you have statistics far enough down to get to 17 on the trade partners for wine sure okay but yeah. um you know that that's one of those like perverse incentives it's like so you know oh we we make the british market more pleasant for us to do business in mm-hmm. yeah with the trade deal and then we're still not even like if we still had those other taxes, like we're still not even cover- clearing the taxes. Yeah. So like, oh, then we, you know, suddenly have more. You know, it's just it's those perverse instruct- incentive structures from taxes where it's like, you know, okay, so now do they produce higher alcohol volume wine? Is that even what people want necessarily? Because like rosé, as we've discussed previously, was very popular. Like how. How does like, this would be something I'd be interested in talking to John about? Because like, let's say that higher alcohol, higher alcohol wine takes longer to just ferment because okay. it's converting more sugar. Mm-hmm. So you know, let's say that they lapse. Right. Like you know, is that something that he would even like? One is that something he's even concerned about? You know, because the way he produces, he may not even you know. He's like, yeah, it sucks to you know have that tax, but. I'm not really even like, you know, he may not be even shooting in that range. So, you know, it's a good question of like, okay, so what happens there? You know, they try to figure that out. Like, does that even matter to people? Um, Like from the production standpoint, like, is this one of those things where it's somebody just like reading statistics and saying, um, you know, oh, this makes sense or what's going on. You know, it would be an interesting question from that standpoint. Um, I did a quick search behind the scenes Mm -hmm. in 2016, 37,806 people died in car accidents okay. um, in the United States. In 2016, there were, now this is homicides, and I don't know how homicides is defined in this regard, mm-hmm. um, but there were 11,004 gun homicides in 2016. Okay. Um, so, you know, I don't know if that means includes, you know, just straight murder or. Does it include people like, you know, like, let's say somebody broke into my house, like punched my wife and I shot him in the back as they ran away. Right. Like, which is, you know, in some states that's like murder, murder. In other states, it's like, it's not a slap in the wrist, but it, it's, you're not going to spend the rest of your life in jail. You're probably not going to spend a huge amount of time in jail, but they're going to punish you. Mm-hmm. And in other states, it's like, well, you know, one less jackass. So, okay. um, but like, that's like, it's like 29%, like, like, it's like 29% of the like 11,000 is like 29% of 37. So or 37,000. So, you know, not really thinking on like how to do the math to give like the percentage difference and all that. But like, that's one of those things where it's like, okay, so like $37 million or 30, you know, 3 million, 30 million, $300 million in lost tax revenue. So guns are so deadly 11,000. So, you know, just for our, our, our love of numbers, Jacob, as we mm-hmm. like to do randomly, where we will throw random statistics into the show. Um, so let's see what 11,000 works out into the U.S. population. Mm-hmm. Wait, say, so, that, say that one more time. Um, 
I'm going to take the 11,000 and divide it by the U.S. population. Okay. That's uh, something like point like point zero 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 three four three seven so like four zeros mm-hmm. like and that's not a percentage but like you know that's not even one percent of the u.s population killed in gun related yeah. deaths like right. not that it's like that's a you know it's not like that's a <clears throat> oh it's a great number but like mm-hmm. it's still almost three times as many people killed in car accidents and like oh guns are the worst thing in the u.s it's like mm, right no <laughs> like yeah. Yes, it is unfortunate when people are killed and gun killed by guns that they didn't want to be killed by. I, I don't know how to better phrase that. Right, right. But I mean, it's unfortunate anytime somebody takes their life. But you know, at a certain point, like, oh, I've got more cancer than anything. I'm in the most pain ever. It's like, well, you know, here you go. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, I'm not telling you to kill yourself, but if that's what you choose to do, like, I get it. But like, yeah, you, like I've, you know, have you seen those like Reddit gifs of like people just like pushing motorcyclists or bicycle bicycling bicycle riding people over or like you know idiots in cars just doing u-turns in like the worst place and like taking out a guy on a motorcycle yeah, it's like yeah. it's like yeah most of those people like most people in the united states probably shouldn't be trusted to drive and like that's again the perverse and you know incentive structure of the government making roads so cheap that you can have these people who truly shouldn't qualify to have a, a you know operate a 2000 plus or however you know however many tons i know it's not 2000 tons but yeah. like, you know cars are getting more heavier and heavier as eric peters points out like you know these just death machines basically that like oh the tesla and the, the prius and all those are so quiet they're the deadly deadly prius as south park told us right right like you know the government's like they've got to be noisier it's like wait a minute like doesn't the noise also mean like less fuel efficiency and stuff so now you're making me like have a perverse incentive structure where like the car has to make some noise they actually this this funny is here's an anecdote is in dublin when i went there many many years ago 10 10 or 15 well like 12 years ago i guess it was i went to dublin and they had uh they have like a light rail type thing there Mm-hmm. And it's so quiet that they that people kept getting run over by the light rail, <laughs> and and so they so they made the light rail have this really obnoxious beep. Mm-hmm. So now it just goes like beep 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 beep, beep as it goes as it goes by, and it's just like oh my gosh, <laughs> like it's, it's so funny though that, that like like that's that's what's going on, and even with the beeping because of the Doppler effect. If it's going fast enough, you don't hear it until it's like almost right there. <laughs> until it's on top of you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're being run over by the double light rail. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So apparently they like, had they had like a huge number of like uh, fatalities from the light rail just running people over because they're you know they're stumbling out of bars drunk in the middle of the night or whatever. Yeah. And it goes down right downtown. Yeah. Not not that the Irish are all drunks, even though they are. No, it's just it <laughs> happens to take out the you know the brightest of society. Right. Exactly. People stumbling out of the bar at like midnight. Yeah. Or yeah. Whatever it is. Right. Exactly. But, you know, and then again that's probably also perverse government incentive structures that are causing these people to get like incredibly hammered because they, they limit the amount of time they employ like somebody can like consume alcohol yeah. at a, like an establishment. Well, actually, you yeah. know, what's funny is I had a, I had a tweet earlier this week that was fairly highly, uh, highly like, uh, thumbs up or whatever it's called on Twitter. Like, mm-hmm. and, um, and it was something like the year is 2050. I'm still young because of new technology, but the new generation, very small generation because of low productivity is complaining about the 20 about how capitalism forces them to work 20 hours a week and that like it was like so that was like that was basically the gist of the tweet because like i've been seeing all this stuff where people are like it's slavery to have to work 40 hours a week for a company and doing something you don't want to do and all that sort of stuff i'm like oh my gosh like you have like granted i like i am so grateful that i don't work 
nearly as much as I used to. Um, or at least I probably work the same number of hours as I used to, but it's flexible now. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm so grateful that I'm not putting in, you know, 50, 60 hours a week. And like these people who are complaining that they have to work or like it's slavery that they have to work because they have to be able to afford rent and food and all that sort of stuff. And it's like your anger toward your anger toward your company or toward whatever's going on in society is is so misplaced when it's inflation that you should be mad about. Like the inf- the deflationary pressure is so high that everything would be so cheap and we'd be working maybe maybe fifteen maybe fifteen hours even. Like you you'd be working way lower hours just to get your just to get by. But right now, so much of your time is consumed by the government. We'd at least be working, at least me would be working 20% less per week. If it was, yeah. if it was by hourly mm-hmm. um, as a result of, of government's taxation. But then in, in addition to that, you, you have inflation, which is the official numbers are two or 3%, but the, the shadow statistics show that it's like 10%, maybe more. Yeah, exactly. And you know, that's just one of those things where like people just don't seem to get it. Yeah. Like, well, it, it, I, I I totally empathize with them because it's not an easy thing to see. You you see uh-huh. you see that you have to work for your boss that you don't like. That makes sense. Like it's like okay, I get it. You don't like your boss. You see that, but then and so you're mad at that. But like, just take an additional step. And actually, like this this article that we were talking about is kind of a a good example of that. It's like he's mad that that they gave a tax break to wine and these large these well not wine but specifically these large brewers. Uh-huh. And then on the flip side, then he's like, you should be taxing guns and ammunition. And it's like, yeah, but that's your personal choice. That's what you think is valuable when when you and I just went over the statistics. And it's like, yeah, guns don't actually cause that much carnage compared to alcohol. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like compared to alcohol, like in, you know, like what's the heroin death rate? You yeah. Know? <laughs> like, yeah. Well, and, and, the, and that's the what, what's the joke that Walter Block always tells, where where uh, the guy comes in and he and he asks the economist, and you know, this is a classic economist economist joke where he asks the economist and he goes, "Hey, how's your wife?" And the economist says, "Compared to what?" <laughs> and like that's that's the joke, and it's just like you can't make you can't make these statements in a vacuum. You do have to compare it to something, and mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, you know what? It sucks that people killed themselves, and and it sucks that there's gun violence. It really does. But compared to what? Like, why are you focusing this much energy on something that's a minuscule percentage compared to these other problems? You should be focusing on privatizing the roads. The roads are causing tons and tons of death per yeah, year. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is like, you know, like those those statistics. Like one of the things that they you know people don't bear out, and like you see like in like shootings, people are like, well, how did they even get the gun? Yeah. Like they do all this thing, and nobody goes like, well, was the road design so shitty? Is that what killed the person? Yeah. Like, not a fault of the driver. Like, right. in Virginia Beach, like, they keep using this one paving company, and I swear they don't grade the roads properly. So there's yeah. just twice the amount of standing pooled water in places. Right. And my wife, like, we were, like, my wife and I were driving to my parents' house, and so we got off, and, like, we went past Virginia Westland, and, like, there was, like, a, you know, I saw the slick of water, and I, you know, hit it in such a way that I knew it wouldn't, like, kill mm-hmm. us. Yeah. But basically, it's, like, just a place where, Anytime it rain, there's just permanently standing water yeah. there now. Yeah. And like this was a big expansion project, and like the road is like so oddly like angled up at random places, like it just pulls water continuously. And it's like you know how many people are killed because the road is so badly designed, yeah. maintained, executed. Like I've heard of people getting like um, out of speeding tickets because there's some sort of federal requirement where you do this study to determine the the speed that the road should be. Yeah, and like you could get like some measure of that. So, <laughs> but I I think uh, 
for both of us. I, I think that's a good stopping place for yeah, us tonight. I, I think so too. Um, let's go ahead and re- yeah. let's recap the wine real quick. So I yes. had I had the Neithling Schaff Estate 2017 Pinot Tage. I give this a high rating. It's 14% alcohol by volume, $15 at total wine. I would take a look at it if you guys are interested in Cabernet Franc um, because I think it's very similar. If you just kind of like Cabernet Sauvignon or a more aggressive red blend, this, I think, is good for you. Now, I know that's a little bit confusing when I say Cabernet Franc and aggressive red brand because Cabernet Franc is a little bit more of a mellow, smoother mm-hmm. Cabernet Sauvignon. But I really do think that this is uh, more like the more aggressive Cabernet Francs out of like Argentina or Italy. Um, not, mm-hmm. not so much like the French or the Napa ones. But yeah, go ahead and give it a try. I highly recommend it. Mason, what do you think about your wine? So um, I have a completely different but also very you know to me a very well um, approved uh red wine so it's the donna cara's uh campina and angelica and angelinico um igt 2016 um 17.99 at the total wine in norfolk virginia so if you're in texas probably around the 15 so but it, it's not super aggressive um, but a very good red wine flavor. The alcohol, if I remember correctly, is in the 14% range. Mm-hmm. Um, don't have the bottle in front of me, but it, you know, it's, it's a very nice red wine. Like mm-hmm. if you're, you're not looking for something that's super aggressive and you kind of want, I think this is kind of what people see in Pinot Noir okay. like, that I don't necessarily pick up on. Like the, I'm not saying the flavors are the same. So like, you know, nobody jump on us for that. But like the subtleness of it, like the flavor is subtle, right? But it's still it's still satisfying. Like it was a every glass was a good glass of red wine. Um, when I got it opened up and oxidized a little more, it was you know, had a little more acidity to it, but mm-hmm. nothing where it was just like you know, like as we were talking about like Carbonare uh, previously, where it's like a big punch up front. It, it was just a a solid and good bottle of wine. I'm, I'm really looking forward to you. Um, having a chance to open yours and, and let us know what you think about it. Okay. I, I'll try to do a mini on that soon. Um, yeah. But I, I've, like I said, I got four minis planned for next week. So I'll probably, I'll probably do one next week and then that'll be out in a couple of weeks on Tuesday. So everybody remember we yeah. release Tuesdays and Fridays. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's really it from Tasting Anarchy. Uh, well, we oh, got, oh, we, we got plugs, don't things. we? Uh, you know, if you want to hear uh, some other guys uh, talk just general liberty, you got the fag cast with uh, Car Campin and Bird Um If you want to hear like a little more directed and specific conversations, uh, check out uh, Sounds Like Liberty with Nikki P and his wife Lizzie. Um, they they're really into music. I was just recently recorded an episode with them. Hopefully, uh, when they release it, we can link to it in this one. And uh, Jake's been on both of those. Yep, that's true. I, I've been on both, and hopefully, we'll have Car on ours. And uh, also, last week I did a I think it was episode fifty two or fifty three with Mister Sue. Um, mm-hmm. So check that out as well. And yeah. uh, also check us out at Tasting Anarchy on Twitter or uh, tastinganarchy.com or you can email us at tastinganarchy at gmail. And I think that covers the plugs. Stay free. If you want to get along in Peter's town, 
Buy some wine and pass it around. The age runs up to 49. All them cats, they love sweet wine. Drinking wine, for the yodi, drink wine. Wine, for the yodi, drink wine. Wine, for the yodi, drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Wine, wine, wine. Elderberry. Wine, wine, wine. Cherry, cherry. Wine, wine, wine. Blackberry. Wine, wine, wine. Port and sherry. Wine, wine, wine. Oh, pass that bottle to me. Now down on Gilsey at Willie's Den, he wasn't selling but American gin. One soldier wanted a bottle of wine, he hit that cat for a dollar and a dime. I drink a wine for the order, drink wine. Wine for the order, drink wine. Wine for the order, drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Now I got a nickel, have you got a dime? Let's get together and get some wine. Some buys fifth and some buys four. When you get together, you're doing things smart. Drinking wine, 40, you drink wine.